Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. I'm Brad Constantine, and this discussion is going to be on Mosiah chapter 1. Now, the last lesson I, I gave you, I was pretty excited about teaching this one uh, because there's some really cool things about Mosiah here that I want to talk about that are pretty interesting. And remember now that we've, we've finished the small plates of Nephi, and now we're beginning the large plates of Nephi. Uh, we've also had... Um, from the words of Mormon, we know that Mosiah had a son named Benjamin, and he had a son named Mosiah. So there's a Mosiah and a Benjamin and a Mosiah. So the Mosiah that this is named after is the second Mosiah, or the or King Benjamin's son, uh, because most of what we're going to talk about is the reign of, of that Mosiah. But there was a Mosiah before. Also remember in the last lesson that we learned from the words of Mosiah, or from the words of Mormon, <clears throat> that it mentioned that uh, they had they had finally uh, established peace in the land, but there weren't any contentions among them. And so uh, as we get into Mosiah chapter 1, we'll see what's, what's going on next here. All right. Uh, also, you'll notice in here that the, the narrative sounds a little different also because instead of using I, Nephi, or I, Jerem, or Jacob, or whatever, uh, from now on we're going to see, we're going to hear this in the third person. And remember, that's because Mormon is now... Uh, telling the story, uh, abridging the records from the, the large plates of Nephi. All right. Um, <clears throat> so also these first few chapters of Mosiah have to do with a coronation. And uh, it's a coronation of, of Mosiah, King Benjamin's son. And uh, remember back in the book of Jacob, when Jacob was giving a talk, remember that it was at the temple, and I mentioned that that was probably during the Feast of Tabernacles time the in the fall. This is probably also the same time because anciently kings were usually um, coronated or anointed around the, the new year, which was uh, in the fall of the year. And so uh, this is probably also happening around the fall, uh, around the Feast of Tabernacles time. That explains why all the people are surrounding the temple, that they're living in their tents, uh, and that they're near, that they're at the temple. So that's probably what's going on. So uh, let me just read you a couple things here about uh, Mosiah chapter one. Um, the first chapter of Mosiah in our current text does not begin in any expected way. In the first place, we are missing the introductory material that Mormon included with all the other books he edited. So you'll notice at the beginning of the book of Alma. There's a heading uh, that was written by Mormon and translated by Joseph Smith. At the beginning of Nephi, uh, the first book of Nephi, there's also a heading to that that was written by Mormon. Uh, the book of Helaman has a brief one. The book of Third Nephi has a brief one. Those all have headings. Now, Mosiah, being a major book, you would expect that that would also have a heading, but it doesn't. And so let's, uh, let's figure out why. This strongly suggests that our Mosiah chapter 1 was not the beginning of the book of Mosiah. Royal Skousen's examination of the manuscripts indicates that what we have as Mosiah 1 was originally Mosiah chapter 3, rather than the first. So, um, and that was from uh, 
Royal Scows and the Critical Methodology in the Text of the Book of Mormon. <clears throat> this is a farms publication. So it's possible that we've missed the first two chapters of Mosiah. Uh, this same evidence indicates that while this was not a new book, it was a new chapter. Based on the nature of chapter breaks, can we make any inference about what, what is missing? Unfortunately, the beginning verse of our current Mosiah 1 appears to be much more of a conclusion than a beginning. In, mo in more modern editing procedures, we might want to see, and now there was no more contention in all the land of Zarahemla among all the people who belonged to King Benjamin, so that King Benjamin had continual peace all the remainder of his days as the concluding section to a description of those contentions. Uh, also, Mosiah 5, which is our current chapter 7, also begins with a, with a statement of peace, but that beginning does not have the reference to anything as obviously previous as the contention. So that chapter break does not necessarily help us. This first verse and the very direct connection to the, to the contentions briefly mentioned in Words of Mormon suggests that Mormon is writing it to directly connect the small plate material into the beginning of this chapter of Mosiah. We may suppose, therefore, that at least one of our missing chapters is being summarized in Words of Mormon, since this is the record of Mosiah and not Benjamin. However, we, we may also speculate that the original first chapter dealt with Mosiah and his removal from Nephi to Zarahemla. This change in ruler occasioned by the change of location would be sufficient reason to begin a new dynastic record and to begin with the new ruler's name, Mosiah. While the principles governing book naming are not clear, it is, it is abundantly clear that book names do not change with every change of ruler. We have Mosiah 1, we have Benjamin, we have Mosiah 2 in this book of Mosiah. <clears throat> Therefore, the change of the name to Mosiah from whatever it was before, we know that it began with the book of Lehi, but do not know if there was anything between the book of Lehi and the book of Mosiah, we may suggest a dramatic change such as a new dynasty. Skousen's suggestion for the possible fit between our current Mosiah 1 and the words of Mormon is an interesting possibility and perhaps the best explanation of the nature of the very specific tie between words of Mormon and the beginning of our current Mosiah 1. All of this leads, leads us to believe that the lost 116 pages included not only all of Lehi, but also part of chapter 1 of the original Mosiah. Joseph Smith retained from the summer of 1829 some small portion of the translation and may have added a few additional pages in, in March 1829, just prior to Oliver Cowdery's arrival in the following month. And all these pages probably included the following portions from the beginning of the original Mosiah, the rest of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and perhaps the beginning of chapter 3. In fact, these few pages could have been part of the original manuscript that was placed in the cornerstone of the Nauvoo House in 1841. If so, they could well have been crossed out so as not to repeat the end of Amalekai's account <clears throat> from, the, from the Book of Omni in the small plates and the material Mormon covered in his transitional The Words of Mormon. Since Joseph Smith did not know of the small plates text until later, and because Words of Mormon is clearly both an appendage to the small plates as well as a transition into our current Mosiah 1, the small plates must have been physically inserted just before Mosiah 3, which is our chapter 1. What this suggests is that when Joseph was translating the plates, either through explicit or unconscious direction, he did not translate the plates continuously, <clears throat> but skipped over the physical plates corresponding to the small plates. The Lord then instructed him to return to them later. 
and so that's what we're we think may have happened. So we're, we actually may have been missing uh, chapters one and chapter two of, uh, of Mosiah. Let me just read you one more paragraph here. The lack of a perf the lack of a preface for the book of Mosiah in the present Book of Mormon is probably because the text makes up the Mosiah account sometime after its original beginning. The original manuscript of the Book of Mormon, written in Oliver Cowdery's hand, has no title for the Book of Mosiah. It was inked in later, prior to sending it to the printer for typesetting. The first part of Mormon's abridgment of Mosiah's record was evidently on the 116 pages lost by Martin Harris. So that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, that uh, we, we may be missing a couple of chapters in uh, Mosiah, and that's why the uh, Words of Mormon uh, may have included a summary uh, or a brief abridgment of that. All right, chapter 1 of Mosiah, verse 1. And now there, were, there was no more contention in all the land of Zarahemla among all the people who belonged to King Benjamin, so that King Benjamin had continual peace all the remainder of his days. And as I said before, this sounds more like at the end of a chapter rather than the beginning of one. Uh, and it came to pass that, that he had three sons, and he called their names Mosiah, and Helorim, and Helaman. And he caused that they should be taught in all the language of his fathers. It is sufficient to note that the teaching of language was thought to be of such unusual significance that it was mentioned even in Mormon's abridgment. What, it, what is never of sufficient importance to mention is that a child learns the spoken language of the parents. That is expected. What is unusual, however, is the teaching of a second language. Hence the need to mention this special learning for the sons of Mosiah. Precisely what they were learning comes from verse 4. That thereby they might become men of understanding and that they might know concerning the prophecies which had been spoken by the mouths of their fathers, which were delivered them by the hand of the Lord. Benjamin's sons <coughs> were taught out of the brass plates as well as the large plates of Nephi. Verse 3, and he also taught them concerning the records which were engraven on the plates of brass, saying, My sons, I would that ye should remember that were it not for these plates, which contained these records and these commandments, we must have suffered in ignorance, even at this present time, not knowing the mysteries of God. Now the term mysteries of God as used in the Book of Mormon denotes the saving principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are termed mysteries because they are unavailable to the natural man, not because they are mysterious or difficult to understand. They must be revealed from God through faith and obedience. They are designed to lead God's children to eternal life. A mystery is a truth that cannot be known except through divine revelation, a sacred secret. In the days of Paul, the important truth that Gentiles were to be admitted to the kingdom of God without observing the law of Moses was a mystery. In our day, such great truths as these pertaining to the restoration of the priesthood, the work for the dead, and the reestablishment of the church are mysteries because they could not have been discovered except by revelation. And that's in the Doctrine and Covenants Commentary. It was their knowledge of the mysteries of God that qualified Nephi to write his record and King Benjamin to preach his sermon. The, the material between Mosiah chapter 2 verse 9 and Mosiah chapter 5 verse 15 constitutes a discussion of some of the most important mysteries of God. Elder Maxwell said, as we see from the content of Benjamin's sermon, the so-called mysteries referred to by King Benjamin are actually the plain and precious, the plain but precious things required for salvation and for exaltation. Okay, uh, continuing, he says uh, in verse 3, My sons, I would that you should remember that were it not for these plates that we would have suffered in ignorance. This is in spite of the fact that they had many prophets. 
Uh, don't get the idea that because we have a living prophet to answer all our questions and solve all our problems for us, nothing could be more absurd than that. Here he says, were it not for these plates, we must have suffered in ignorance. Well, don't prophets reveal mysteries of God? The Lord told Joseph Smith, if I've told you a thing once, I, don't, I won't tell you again. If it's in the scriptures, don't ask me about it. You look it up yourself. I'm not going to repeat these things. If we don't take advantage of, them, of the revelations we have, we are not going to have more. If the heavens have been silent, there is a good reason for it. And that's by Hugh Nibley. Verse 4. And this tells us the, the other, the second language that they were taught. For it were not, for it were not possible that our father Lehi could have remembered all these things to have taught them to his children, except it were for the help of these plates, for he having been taught in the language of the Egyptians. It is difficult to know exactly what is meant when King Benjamin indicated that the brass plates were written in Egyptian. Perhaps the phrase language of the Egyptians in this verse means the same thing that Nephi meant when he spoke of the language of his father, and thus the language of the Book of Mormon, as consisting of the learning of the Jews and the language of the Egyptians. That is to say, the Nephite record reflected Hebrew culture and background of the Jews, but was written in Egyptian characters. In the present context, then, the brass plates may have been records of Hebrew prophets and their prophecies all recorded in an Egyptian script, and that was by Robert Millet. Hugh Nibley said that he believed that the brass plates would have been written in Hebrew. Continuing verse 4, Therefore he could read these engravings and teach them to his children, that thereby they could teach them to their children, and so fulfilling the commandments of God even down to this present time. I say unto you, my sons, were it not for these things which, we ha which have been kept and preserved by the hand of God, that we, might under that we might read and understand of his mysteries and have his commandments always before our eyes, that even our fathers would have dwindled in unbelief, and we should have been like unto our brethren the Lamanites, who know nothing concerning these things, or even do not believe them when they are taught them because of the traditions of their fathers, which are not correct. O oh, my sons, I would that ye should remember that these sayings are true, and also that these records are true. And behold, also the plates of Nephi, which contain the records and the sayings of our fathers, from the time that, that they left Jerusalem until now. And they are true, and we can know of their surety, because we have them before our eyes. And now, my sons, I would that ye should remember to search them diligently. John Taylor said, Search the scriptures was the command of Jesus, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. I would not only search the scriptures that we have now, but I would search also every revelation that God has given, does give, or will give for the guidance and direction of his people. And then I would reverence the giver and those also whom he makes use of as his honored instruments to promulgate and make known those principles. And I would seek to be governed by the principles that are contained in that sacred word. Joseph Smith said, The things of God are of deep import, and time and experience and careful and ponderous and solemn thoughts can only find them out. So that's why we need to be searching them every day diligently and pondering them too. Continuing verse 7, That ye may profit thereby, and I would that ye should keep the commandments of God, that ye may prosper in the land according to the promises which the Lord made unto our fathers. And many more things did King Benjamin teach his sons, which are not written in this book. And it came to pass that after King Benjamin had made an end of teaching his sons, that he waxed old, <clears throat> and he saw that he must soon, very soon, go, to the, go the way of all the earth. Therefore, he thought it expedient that he should confer the kingdom upon one of his sons. Therefore, and this is around 124 BC or so, he had Mosiah brought before him, and these are the words which he spake unto him, saying, My son, I would that ye should make a proclamation throughout all this land, among all this people, or the people of Zarahemla, and the people of Mosiah who dwell in the land, that thereby they may be gathered together. <clears throat> now this is a royal edict. Anyone choosing to not attend 
uh, would be banished from the kingdom for three years. And that's a huge comment. That's uh, what they would have done anciently in Israel. <clears throat> for on the morrow I shall proclaim unto this, unto this my people out of mine own mouth that thou art a king. The Mulekites may have been demanding that one of their ancestors should be the king. So Benjamin is going to make sure they understand that Mosiah is their king. It's interesting to note that the text mentions Mosiah as a king and not as the king. Christ is the king. Now remember too that uh, that when the uh, Mulekites came over that they were of the tribe of Judah. And in the patriarchal blessing that uh, Jacob gave to Judah, it would be that they would be the rulers. They would have the scepter it mentions. And so I'm wondering if maybe the Mulekites were thinking that since they were of the tribe of Judah, that they should have been the ones to rule and not those that were of the house of uh, Joseph through Manasseh and uh, Lehi's descendants. So I'm wondering if that's what's going on. There's a, a bit of a dispute. And so Benjamin's going to settle it by saying, no, here's my son's going to be the ruler uh, to rule over everybody. Continuing verse 10, and a ruler over this people whom the Lord our God hath given us. Uh, and this is from the doctrinal commentary of the Book of Mormon. <clears throat> Once again, we are required to read between the lines of the text. Benjamin has had controversy and conflict during his reign, though at this very point in time, he has peace. Even at this date, compromising the end, comprising the end of the life of Mosiah 1 and most of Benjamin's life, perhaps at least 60 years given the typical lifespan of the Book of Mormon and the overlap between Mosiah 1 and Benjamin. We have two identical political factions, one retaining the identity of Zarahemla and one the identity of Mosiah, and interestingly, not Nephi. This division in the people becomes the background against which Benjamin's coming proclamation will make sense. And potential or past divisions between the two groups may also explain the need to declare Mosiah II as the king from mine own mouth. The clear pronouncement is in a public forum would be calculated to decrease potential divisions and disagreements about succession. And that was by Brant Gardner. Benjamin knew of no greater honor than could be conferred upon his people than that they bear the name of their master and savior, the Christ and that they, through the adoption of righteousness, become his sons and daughters. Such was the setting in which Mosiah was consecrated or anointed as their king in the stead of his father. How like that great and grand council of heaven this must have been, where the eternal father chose his most righteous son to be our king, and where we placed ourselves under covenant to sustain him as such. I also think uh, and believe that at the meeting at Adam on Diamond, that that also will be in the fall of the year, and that will also be a sacrament meeting wherein we will sustain Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords to rule and reign upon the face of the earth during the millennium. So I think there's some parallels happening here. Uh, the coronation of Mosiah, similar to the coronation of Jesus Christ, uh, just, at the, just prior to his second coming. Verse 11, and moreover, I shall give this people a name that thereby they may be distinguished above all the people, those in the covenant as opposed to those who do not make the covenant, which the Lord God hath brought out of the land of Jerusalem. And this I do because they have been a diligent people in keeping the commandments of the Lord. At this point, there are two peoples living together, the people of Mosiah and the Mulekites. Benjamin, by giving them a new common name, is unifying the people into one people. It is his way of making sure there is peace after he is gone. It is also to establish the people in a new covenant. Verse 12, And I give unto them a name that never shall be blotted out, except it be through transgression. Almost all God's promises are conditional upon our righteousness. 
Yea, and moreover, I say unto you that if this highly favored people of the Lord should fall into transgression and become a wicked and an adulterous people, that the Lord will deliver them up, that thereby they become weak like unto their brethren, and he will no more preserve them by his matchless and marvelous power, as he has hitherto preserved our fathers. For I say unto you that if he had not extended his arm in, in the preservation of our fathers, they must have fallen into the hands of the Lamanites and become victims to their hatred. And it came to pass that after King Benjamin had made an end of these sayings to his son, that he gave him charge concerning all the affairs of the kingdom. And moreover, he also gave him charge concerning the records which were engraven on the plates of brass, and also the plates of Nephi, and also the sword of Laban, and the ball or director, which did our fathers through the wilderness, which led our fathers through the wilderness, which was prepared by the hand of the Lord, that thereby they might be led, everyone according to the heed and diligence which they gave unto him. Now, there's something I noticed that's missing, and that's the Urim and Thummim. And I wonder if that's because Mosiah doesn't receive the Urim and Thummim until later, uh, after they receive or find the plates of ether, and the Urim and Thummim is with them. So maybe that's uh, when he gets the Urim and Thummim, which will then be brought forth and uh, buried with the plates and given to Joseph Smith. <clears throat> this verse is interesting because it catalogs what was transferred from one prophet to another. It included all the records, the plates of brass, the plates of Nephi, both large and small, the sword of Laban and the Leahona. These were all kept together, presumably transferred as a group to every prophet who was subsequently given charge of them. The writings of Mormon imply that there were a lot of records by the time he received charge of these things. This truth is shown more clearly in the quote by Brigham Young, which I think I've read before about uh, Joseph and, and Oliver Cowdery going into the side of the hill and seeing lots of plates scattered throughout the cave. Uh, if you want to read that or see that, that's a, in a different lesson. Verse 17, Therefore, as they were unfaithful, they did not prosper nor progress in their journey, but were driven back and incurred the displeasure of God upon them. And therefore, they were smitten with famine and sore afflictions to stir them up in remembrance of their duty. And now it came to pass that Mosiah went and did as his father had commanded him and proclaimed unto all the people who were in the land of Zarahemla, that thereby they might gather themselves together to go up, again going up to the temple spiritually, to the temple. The pattern of the Nephite temples, at least until after the time of Christ's visit, was that of Solomon's temple, the outer court being a place of instruction, to hear the words which his father should speak unto them. We are, we are uninformed as to when and by whom the temple in Zarahemla was built. However, in all probability, it was erected in the 3rd century BC by Mosiah 1, subsequent to his arrival in Zarahemla, and after his appointment as king over those living in that land. It was to this, this second Nephite temple that the, that the people gathered to hear King Benjamin. In doing so, they came prepared to offer sacrifice and burn offerings, according to the law of Moses. This has led to a current theory that the king chose that particular date because it coincided with an annual religious festival. While not unlikely, Benjamin's instructions to his son Mosiah, together with his unprecedented message to the people, suggest that Mosaic law and ritual were at best of secondary concern. That's by Rodney Turner. And then Daniel Ludlow said, This is the first reference to a temple in the land of Zarahemla. The building of a temple mentioned earlier in the Book of, Mo of, of Mormon refers to the temple in the land of Nephi. Our present Book of Mormon does not provide any additional information concerning when or by whom this temple in Zarahemla was constructed. We know also that they had a temple in Bountiful, so there were at least three temples among the Nephites that we know of uh, that were built during that time. So this is the end of chapter one. Weren't you excited to hear about um, some, maybe some missing chapters out of Mosiah? Anyway, 
I hope to see you next time. I bear testimony to the truth of the gospel that this is translated material by the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.